Welcome to the Level Up Podcast, brought to you by Century 21, the Harrelson Group, featuring masterminds with real estate leaders, coaches, and influencers, plus eye-opening strategy sessions with up-and-coming agents. You'll learn exactly how to go from agent to entrepreneur. And now, let's get to the latest episode of Level Up. Greg Harrelson here with another episode of the Level Up Podcast. And as a lot of you know, the Level Up Podcast was originally my vision on how to, um, you know, how to share share stories and secrets, tips and whatnot um, in the journey of going from agent to entrepreneur. And um, we've got a guest today that we've had on the show before. It's been a while. So we're going to, you know, really do a deep dive and get an update of, 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 the um, progression over the years, but Ryan Finch is truly a story, has a story of going from agent to entrepreneur. And I'll, before I, 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 you know, invite Ryan in to, uh, to share, I just want to say, when I say agent to entrepreneur, you know, he started off in the real estate business as a new agent, market shifted, had to pivot do some short sales, learn the, di- the distress market, ends up selling hundreds of properties. Decides he wants to go to another level, creates a team. I believe he did that with his sister, next thing you know, doing 900 home sales. And uh, I think they became the number seven team by the Wall Street Journal. So, you know, it's very legit. And then if that wasn't enough, he decided, you know what, I'm going to start my own real estate company. And he went on to do that. And then he's going to tell us a story about how he's taken his real estate company and started franchising. So to me, when you're an agent, there's the agent, then you're a team builder, then he became a business owner, and now he's really working on being an entrepreneur. So Ryan, thank you for joining me again. Ryan Finch from Virginia. Did I mess any of that up, man? Man, that, that was that was great. I, you know, it's funny that you even remembered all, all of those details and uh, and all that stuff. So I appreciate it. that. Was very honoring. Thank you. Yeah, well, you know, I, I want to say this. The reason why I remember is because you're a true testament to agent to entrepreneur. And there's a lot of real estate agents that have business owner or entrepreneur in their hearts and they they have that desire but they just don't have the confidence to go there right maybe they feel like they're missing something they're afraid of what they don't know and and things like that well you went for it now i don't know and and you'll tell us whether you had all this figured out you know beforehand or if you had to figure it out along the way but uh no matter which way it is it, you're 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 truly something to remember so thanks for joining me again man yeah, sure, man. Thanks for having me on. So yeah, so yeah, real quick. So tell us the start. Like, you get into the business, the market drops, and you have to go into distress sales. Yeah, uh, <laughs> it it was almost not fair. If I had waited one more year, I wouldn't have had to go through what I had to go through because you get in for a year, you get to dabble in some success, right? I mean, you get a couple sales, you you know, you're making money, and uh, and you're you know, then you're spending it like that's always going to be that way, you know, and then it drops off and. And what was worse is I used the money to then go get debt. So I got a new car, I get a new house, and then boom, it all hits the bottom. And so that was really a, a hard punch in the mouth that really made me adapt and figure things out. But if I had not gone through that, I don't know that I'd be where I'm at today because it taught me all about the economics, right? So everyone is scared of moving on to the new level and next level of business. But it's usually because they don't know their numbers. They don't know they're profitable. They don't know their business. They don't know where new business would come from. There's so much ambiguity 
that stops them. That if they actually stopped and went and figured that out, they would they would know. And so, I mean, I got all the way down, and I'm still granular to this day. I literally before this meeting, I was sitting down uh, with our our operations person, and she's uh, we were talking about what is our run rate per day? Like, what does it cost us per day to run this business, and what is our income per day? Right, and that's just. It's a simple little game, right? Like we want to see whether what we're bringing in is greater than what we're spending, right? And so we can do that on a daily basis. Once you look at it, annual, monthly, and then and then uh, and then daily, right? And so, mm-hmm. so anyway, I had to do you know Dave Ramsey type stuff, paying off credit cards and debts, and digging all the way out. So I dug a huge hole that I had to come out of, and then it wasn't just coming back. It was like you had to come back, and then to get to the next level, you had to get rid of all the crap of all the mess I had made. Uh, and, and that really, that encouraged me. And at the same time, because I did it, I, I was confident, right? Like I, I built, okay, well, if that's the case, I'll do it. And then I just made one mistake after another, where I essentially repeated the same stupid pattern over and over and over again. And I said, wait a minute, somebody's going to want to know this information of how to not do this. So they can skip past and bypass the stupidity, but here's the worst part. This is the worst part. you're going to laugh at me Uh, and this may discredit everything that I'm getting ready to say, but I actually had a coach. He actually told me (laughs) and I didn't listen. (laughs) So because I didn't understand what he was saying, what he was telling me, what what he would say. And he would say it over and over because he would just say it real gentle, you know, and it wasn't somebody shaking me. It wasn't pushing me down. Like, Hey, you got to listen to what I'm telling you. He would just, he just asked simple questions. He'd say, uh, he'd say statements. Like he said, you got to leave a profit. Mm. You got to leave a profit. And, and, you know, just real nice. And I was like, what does that even mean? You know, like it didn't make any sense to me. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm profitable, I'm profitable. I mean, I'm losing money every month, but I'm profitable. And, you know, <laughs> yeah. I just, it was just nuts. So anyway, I'll, I'll you, you, you know, I, I have to say for those listening, you know, I've, I've been through a few different cycles. And so I understand, you know, kind of like I, I, I've seen this, the, this go on and on and on multiple times where somebody gets in the market and the market's hot. And and all of a sudden they start getting traction early on and then the market drops and then they find themselves having to dig themselves out of a hole. And I, I, unfortunately, Ryan, I see people doing that right now. I see people, you know, I see all these Facebook posts of these beautiful houses, beautiful cars, beautiful boats that are being purchased by all these real estate agents that are legitimately doing more business. I just fear that they're financing all those things. And then, yeah, and then when the market shifts, then, you know, the, the bills stay there. The bills don't shift, you know. Um, and so ho- hopefully people are learning lessons from you know, from uh, from mistakes of others in the past, but this is the time to be getting becoming debt free, not be adding debt on because right. there will be another market. So, so you made the shift. You know what I found fascinating, and I, I'm ca- kind of curious. Um, you went from a good market to now having to master a distressed market. A lot of people decided they're just going to get out of the market. You know what was in your head? I mean, what does what were you thinking? Um. I didn't really have a plan B. I mean, there wasn't really okay. any other option. You know, I had my daughter and at that point, you know, she was probably five by the time the distress really got going. And I was like, well, I gotta, I gotta do something. And people are doing deals. Yeah. For me, it really messed with my head a little bit that it was this down market. And I said, it's a down market, but you can look at the stats and go thousands of homes were selling every month. They just weren't selling with me. And so I had to figure out where that business was coming from, what was going on. And so, so really when I say it messed with your head, you go, well, every market's going to have that. All you just have to do is be the top. If you're at the top, 
and then a certain amount of deals, meaning it's not going to zero deal. I mean, we could if no listings hit the market at this point, but, but I mean, really deals are happening. They're just got to be happening with you. And that's really the, the key pivotal thing that good market, slow market, it doesn't really matter. You just got to have, you got to be the one doing those deals. I know that's pretty basic comment, but it, it, it wasn't it, then. It, it's Ryan, it's not as basic as you would think. I mean, what you just said right there is so important that in a good market and a down market, the number of transactions that will transact in the United States will be relatively the same. It's probably going to be in very rare occasions. It may dip under 5 million sales and it in another and just as rare, it may actually surpass 6 million. It's typically always going to be in the $5 million, $5 million transaction range. So, when people say the market is good or the market is bad, what you learned early on that prices are higher or prices are lower, but transactions are the same. Yeah. Is that kind of what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, more or less, I mean, the percentage wise, it was a little bit of a difference, but you, you'd be surprised how much that compressed everybody, you know? And so a certain amount of people, when they got out, when those people, like you said, they got out, it actually just opened up the door for those that stayed in, right? And so if you could just hang on a little bit longer when you're, you know, everything's screaming at you. You got to pay the water bill. You got to pay the electric <laughs> bill. You got to pay the mortgage. Like all that's going on is noise in the back of your head. But if I hadn't gone through that part of knowing that feeling, that emotion, and then going in and redoing the numbers, you know, I, yeah. I you know, I, I, I don't think I would have ever been prepared for anything more. So yeah, I, I actually think that the the down market is uh, there is more opportunity because the even though the price ranges are down, the number of transactions available per agent usually goes up because mm -hmm. the number of agents actually decrease at a higher percentage mm -hmm. than the number of uh, transactions decrease. Exactly. So particularly, there's more business, and um, I think you found that out. So. Um, I, I'm really curious, though, of like, okay, now you've mastered or you're doing very well with the uh, short sales and, and foreclosures. Talk to me about the transition of uh, why did you create a team from that? Was it out of necessity? You're just doing so much business you needed help? Or what was your thought in joining forces with your, your sister? By the way, your sister's name, how do you pronounce her name? Rindy. 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 I, I, I don't know what it is about your parents, but you guys like the R-H in the, the spelling, right? Yeah, exactly. yeah I, I noticed that. Okay, cool. So what was um, what was the inspiration in joining joining forces as a team with Rindy? What how did that come about? Well, it was a down it was a down economy really. I mean, at that point in time, so she had stepped in to help us build some stuff and do like the back end operations from Florida. So you know she was a go getter. So she's down there and she could do a lot of the work and help me doing that. I didn't have a lot of money at that point, you know, because it was it was you know down. So I was paying her. She was helping. She's like, look, at least it's revenue right now because jobs aren't there, and so yeah. it puts you know, food on the table. And then it just kind of started taking off new opportunities opened up. And then we said, well, let's just move you up here. So we moved her up from Florida up here, moved her whole family up here, moved her into a house I had. And then, you know, from there, she just kind of help us take off, set up all the operational, uh, you know, pieces. Uh, I'd come up with some crazy idea and she'd go, okay, here, here, boom, boom, boom. And she would make it, uh, make it happen, you know? And so, so, yeah. yeah. Well, we all need our Rindy in our lives. Yeah. There's yeah. no question about it. I mean, the true backbone of the businesses a lot of times are, are people like that. So great. So really the inspiration is, you know, the there there's not a lot of opportunities out there in this uh, down economy. She right. needed something. You probably needed something. It just happened to match and you, you, you took care of family and 
and whatnot. And uh, it, I guess that was sounded like a two-way street where she's taking care of you, you're taking care of her. And so were your intentions though beyond, was there intentions beyond that with, or, or did it just unfold as you and her started working together? You're like, well, why don't we add an agent? How did you start adding agents? I had a couple of agents, so I already had the team um, yeah. for the most part, but I had the least profitable team in America. So, um, so <laughs> love your honesty. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I'm at Remax at the point in time. So there's a broker and then a franchise company and, you know, I'm paying the bills and not paying the bills. And it was funny as, you know, I go to the, to the guy, to the owner and say, you mind if I can wait a couple of weeks, I got a closing or whatever coming up. And so, you know, we were just trying to figure it out. We didn't know what was going on or what we were doing. Didn't have any numbers on anything, had some support staff. So it was just a mess. It was just, by the time we paid Remax, paid the agents, uh, paid the, uh, paid the uh, support staff, there just wasn't anything left over. So I was just digging a negative hole. But the good news is I like drove a nice car and I wore a nice suit every day. So like, you know, I looked at the part. I mean, did that, does that count? Did they give me credit for that? So, um, so, you know, that, that's essentially what was, what was going on. So before you opened up your company, um, before you went off on your own and, and went independent, tell us about the size of your team, number of transactions. What, what did that look like? Yeah, it was, it was somewhat a unique situation because once we had landed this REO account, I spent six months getting this REO account, and I got the REO account, and then they dumped 150 properties on me at once. That's when we moved Randy up here. Like, all right, come on, you're gonna have to be here. We got a lot going on, so I need you. I need you here. Uh, help me, you know, help. I'm drowning, and so yes. you know, so she helped organize again and all that stuff and get it all going there. Um, and then we hired. Um, uh, agents at that point because we had those REOs. So we did the REOs and then those REOs would then make listings. And those listings would call buyers and we wanted to separate those out in lanes. So so then what we had is the REO agents and we'd multiply those out. Then we multiplied out the um, the buyer's agents that would come in on that. So we, we grew that to uh, a good amount of agents. Um, and then a lot of those people were like uh, their team members. And once we went and opened our own, then those people peeled out and became like 100% agents at our company. And then we brought a new team. And so uh, again, I did everything wrong. So I went and bought a 6,000 square foot building. So that's hundreds of thousands of dollars went out to buy the building, you know, for 10 agents at that point in time, you know? And so uh, that was pretty stupid. I'm paying all that money for 10 agents, some are 100% agents. So again, I'm running probably the least profitable team you could ever have. Um, but luckily we had a lot of REOs. But so anyway, before that, we had these REOs. We peeled those out into separate um, locations. And so we started partnering with agents across the country. And so then we would pass them the listings and they would do the listings and then they could take the buyers and do what they wanted. So we peeled that out with the brokerage and then funneled it all back. We did all the accounting. We had all the technology and all the software and all the relationships. And we and we set all that stuff up. So. Yeah, got it. And so, um, so the, your team structure was more of at the beginning was just a support and REO division. I mean, yeah, you basically created an REO company. So you had plenty of you, you already had the account that gave you the lead flow. So yeah. you had the lead flow. Um, now, so the REO market doesn't exist anymore. It stopped a long time ago. Yeah. So you made a transition, you got into the business the market dumped. You had to make a transition to go from distress. Then all the distress dried up. Now you got to make a damn another another a pivot again. I wrote uh, a check to the old brokerage and said, hey, I know I'm in a contract because I set up a really good deal with them. And uh, at that point, I was doing like 80 deals a month. So, you know, I had a really good deal with them and then phew, it dropped off. And I went, 
it's costing me too much money to be here. I'll write you a check and I'm going to go open my own just to honor my agreement with them. Uh, Cause you know, it was good for me when it's good for me. I didn't want to make it well, this changed and now I don't want to honor my agreement. So sure. Yeah. And we're That's still good. friends to this day because of that, you know, and I just chose the relationship over it, but, but anyway, so we did that. And then I figured out the math of, all right, well, I need this amount of money to run. And if I allocate this money this way, I could run this way. And so, so we went and we, that's when we went and opened up, uh, opened up first class. First class real estate. Now mm-hmm. with your, the, the, the people that you had on your team, did they then stay on your team or did they become more of an independent agent <clears throat> within the operations of first class real estate? There was a mix. Some people went one direction, some the other. And, you know, at that point in time, we're like, all right, we needed, we had to build all this. We really needed to be adding agents and growing the company. But instead, we had to make everything, all the forms, the contracts, the operations manuals, the trainings, like all that had to be done, bring in the right support staff, set up all the roles, because now we have to do the accounting, right? Like all the things we didn't have to do at that brokerage, we now were in charge of. So we had to make all these systems and processes that they we didn't have to worry about before. And now we had to. And so and yeah. you know, there was nobody there to give it to us. So so we did, which is essentially what ended up becoming the mindset that we learned in this franchise model. Oh, this is why people don't do this because you got to now spend more time to make less money. People don't want to do that. Like that, yeah. that's, that's foolish. They want it. They don't mind spending money to get more money faster, but they don't want to spend more time because they still got household bills and all the other things. So I was just running out of money. Then we, then when we got that office, we got multiple offices up and running. We take the money and re-roll it out. Now we get offices open for really skinny. I was spending 140 grand every time I opened a new office. We got that all the way skinny down. And COVID really helped us in that too, because now we can run a virtual office. But yeah. we, we, you know, we got our office costs opening up quick and down and, and then up and profitable fast. So we we learned how to do that on uh, that dip and that drive to profitability quickly. So. What about lead flow? So if you have all these team members and agents that were used to um, the lead flow of REO, and then all of a sudden that went dry, um, yep. did you replace that in, in a different form of lead flow? <clears throat> we did. Good question. So so what we ended up doing was um, because when we had the REOs, a lot of the buyers would come in and buy them. And so we would fix them up and flip them. And then we would also uh, like we would flip them for the government. Like they yeah. asked us to do it. They we put up money, they reimbursed us. But so we would do that. And then uh, then what happens? Investors were coming and buying our property. So we had relationships with them as they would buy them and resell them with us, you know, over and over. And um, and then uh, what happens after that Fannie Mae stuff uh, had stopped? Then we moved to um, to helping them. So they would then go buy properties. We already knew how to repair properties, what properties were worth, how to do a BPO on them. We knew all the value to those investors. And so we said, okay, well, instead of us just helping mitigate loss for the government, we're now helping these people buy homes, fix them up and resell them. And it was a little different climate, but they had to find them. So they'd be regular resales. They'd be other REO accounts that were out there, all those other things. So we really made a, a good business in that. And then those people would go run marketing ads to get new leads. So they would bring properties to us that they found. And then, um, uh, you know, courthouse steps or any of those other auction mm-hmm. type yeah. things. And Probate so. or whatever. So you started looking for, um, so you started looking for the listings that were most similar to what you were doing. It just wasn't coming from the uh, the, the REO bank or the banks and, and, and whatnot. That's good. So so it sounds like one of the things you did is you you maintain good relationship with all your past clients. Yeah. Well, you had that database ready and primed. 
Well, what happened is my mindset changed. It's always, it's always this one little thought that comes in and changes how you're seeing everything. And so what changed for me, and I don't even remember where it came from, who said it, but they said, you make money every time money trades hands. And I said, yes. okay, interesting. And I like, you'd think you'd know that you trust thousands of transactions. you know that, right? Like, yeah, you only make it if the deal closes. That's one way of saying it. When we say you only make it when money trades hands, I said, well, who's got the money then? That's going to trade hands, right? And so, you know, one time buyer, first time home buyers trading, you know, $200,000. But an investor is rolling $3 million over and over and over three or four times in a year. That was a lot more money trading hands with only one relationship. And, and then I could take one agent and make one relationship and roll the money and then do the same thing over and over, just like I did yeah. the REO accounts. And so, so that's kind of the mindset that changed everything for me with, with that business. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah, you know what's interesting, and, and that I, you know, I just want to acknowledge is um, you don't seem, at least you're not showing any evidence that you, um, when things change, you may freak out, but you seem to make a move. Yeah. Whether it's a good move or a bad move, you don't seem to stand still when when the market makes a shift, and and I think that's very important. Um, it, any thoughts on that? You know. Um... I mean, it's not that I don't stress or, you know, would go yeah. through any of the other things that go on, but, you know, I've, I've since reflected backwards. It's kind of funny because you can kind of look back on yourself and your business of things, but, you know, I have a, a thing where if you spend a day without thinking about what you're doing or what's going on or what's going to change, um, it really, it even stimulated, there's a line in the movie Moneyball in the end of it. He says, if you're not breaking down your system and your model, trying to reinvent it, you're a dinosaur and somebody else is working twice as hard to break it down and beat you. And, and for me, uh, you know, that's just always kind of been the thing. Cause I said, well, either disruption is going to happen to me or I'm going to be disrupted. And, yeah. and, and that's just, that's your choice. That's your choice in life. And if you're staying stagnant, you're just either just going through mundane pieces and you got to get to the end and go, that's all you did. I mean, that was your thing. Hopefully you enjoyed it. You got your, you know, what you wanted out of it, or you were impactful and made a difference in either people's lives or the market or industry. And, and that just, that fires me up. I mean, I, I would imagine it would fire anybody up, but having the fortitude to go in and go disrupt your own business. It sounds chaotic. It sounds like self-sabotage, but you got to go in and re-break it down and do it again, or it's going to happen to you. Once you learn that, then all of a sudden you're now disrupting your own business and everybody else is just looking at it like, oh, that's stupid. That I, I have Tons of people, close friends that say, you're an idiot to me over and over and over again. Every time I would do one of these other things, I said, I can see it. I see it. It's going to happen. Disruption. Here's the disruption right now. You ready? Yeah. We're going to lose a ton of agents in this market. We're going to lose them because they can't get deals done. So, so, so we're going to lose agents because there's not enough sellers. So you got agents writing a lot more contracts, but they're not necessarily winning them. So the, the number of contracts written to contracts one Right. Is per agent is definitely decreasing. And yeah, that's going to discourage a lot of agents. And, you know, so so what are you as, as a and I want to go into the franchise side of it, too, and, and learn more about that. Um, but before we go on to that. So what is what is your prediction or what do you see um, over the next year or so, maybe two years with the market? Do you see REOs coming back? Do you see the market going down, going up for longer? You know, if, where's your mind now as you're thinking, hey, because you're always looking at the next market. So what's the next market look like for you? Or what are you thinking it may look like? Um, I mean, there's a huge market compression going on. I mean, yeah. essentially, the, the commission is being compressed. 
over and over and over. And so um, I think that it's going to be a race to the bottom. I think everyone's kind of acknowledged that and they understand it, but they're still kind of holding on. I mean, I really try and look at these other businesses and go, they're not breaking down their model. They have too big of ships to break it down. They're going, we're just going to ride this ship into the ground. And ultimately, that's a way better plan than to go disrupt it and mess yourself up. Right. And so uh, and they maybe will last a couple more years. But the disruption is just happening so much faster, I think, than they're even thinking is, is really going to take place because there's so many pieces coming in and disrupting at the same time. So um, so that market compression is going to happen. I think that. Um, most brokerages are going to have to end up sharing a lot of the stuff with their agent, you know, whether that's ownership in the company, whether that's ownership in mortgage or title or paying them a high amount of money to make money on mortgage and title or something along those lines. And, you know, we still got this blockchain stuff that's kind of looming, like maybe that's going to come in. We, we can't quite see it yet, but when it does, it feels like it's going to be really rapid and fast. Um, you got the regulatory side of the mortgage side. So you've got kind of some buoys that are holding you in lane, uh, to, to what's what. And, um, and, you know, there's also, a um, they don't know any better, right? There's a, there's a bunch of people out there that are so busy. Like I was just doing and doing and doing and doing and doing. They're not even looking for another answer. They're not even looking. They've got blinders on of this is so great and yada, 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 or they're in this, all right, I just got to get the next deal and I've got to get it. They, they don't know what's going on. And that's to the benefit of those that go, yep, just stay doing what you're doing. Let's just keep them happy, almost like keep them medicated to keep them moving to this other thing. And then, boom, they're going to get disrupted because they, they're, you know, they're just staying on that pattern. So, yeah. So we're, we're almost to entrepreneur. We're now here. You started off as an agent. Man, lots of pivots here. Team builder, pivot again. Business owner. Um, obviously, you're going to have to continue. We always have to pivot. We're business owners. That's just the story of our life. But I have not seen many agents, only a few, that have taken it all the way to, I feel like my systems are good enough to franchise. So what are you franchising? And um, who's the audience? What, you know, what, are you, what are you delivering to those that are, are, are coming to, uh, to franchise with you? Yeah, so I'm trying to tip the game upside down a little bit. So I, you know, I, I got kind of both ways uh, to look at this, but Ultimately, right now, the brokerage owners own the business, and then there's you know kind of agents underneath that, and the agents have their transactions. That's kind of the flow, and and then they've set up see these uh, either profit shares or rev share type programs, where then their goal is to bring these other people in, and so and so which is fine. That's good. It's good for for a lot of people, and um and what I want to do is in that is disrupt it by making it so easy that agents can run a business. So it just tips it upside down because now they're the owner. Now they run this thing where they have all the costs and the operations very similar to what I said when I peeled out because they can, if they can do sales, the amount they're paying into the brokerage is probably more than they could do if they did it on their own. So we built this growth plan all the way from what we call a partner agents. Agent comes in, he's learned contracts and you know needs leads to 100% agent. That 100% agent can now do all the business and they just pay a small fee to the brokerage owner and that's all they want to do and there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, then they go to this next level where they want to build a team. So now they can add them on, but they'll have what they would be their partners, right? They're, we call them entrepreneurs. They'd be entree partners. So then they would 
run a team that way and they can do that. So everybody kind of can stop anywhere they want. And when that team gets big enough, it peels out and it opens its own office because it doesn't make sense to pay the brokerage anymore. They would open their own. And we're, we're the whole company is, is, is okay with that, right? So, so they know that that's part of the game. We want to move them all the way through and they'll bring new partners in. And then that whole cycle, it keeps essentially um, compounding. And so now, because that partner that turned entrepreneur, now entrepreneur hires other partners, that's great for the brokerage owner, right? So now they're adding them, they're training them, they're giving them leads, and now it's a small knit um, uh, cell of, of, of production that's working, right? Because none of the models work if, if there's no sales. You can go anywhere you want, do whatever you want. If there's no sales, nobody wins because nobody makes money unless money trades hands, right? So, mm-hmm. so, so anyway, so all of that is to lead to the other, but we can have agents. We take people that are mom and pop companies. We take someone that have seven agents. They now have 50, right? They've been here less than a year, but they couldn't break through. We've taken it where there were people that were just individual agents. They've opened up offices and they got a hundred agents now. So like, it's, it's crazy. What's are you happened. coaching? Are you coaching them as like yeah, a part so, of the services that you're providing? Like what would the, like, a, what would a few services be that you might be providing these people? Sure. Yeah. And so we're, we're idiots. Um, because again, I did that thing where I lost a bunch of money up front. I told you everybody thought I was an idiot because I was losing money and I never listened to the coach. Um, so <laughs> I should have, I, I could have probably still done the same, but, but anyway, um, we, we provide more value than we charge for. Like, it's kind of like our mantra. It's like the ideal of an Amazon is they, they disrupt it by giving more and squeezing out JC pennies. You're not going to wait a week and pay a service fee to delivery when you can have it in 24 hours, you know, with no cost. Right. So, so that disruption is what we want to do in this industry. So with that, we're making it where we think every brokerage should provide a CRM. So we provide KV Core, so that KV Core is in, uh, included, and it's included the franchisee would cover that cost and then provide it on to the agent. Otherwise, the agents are on a split, plus yeah. then paying for their own outside CRMs. Then the franchise companies are setting up franchises and then make them get a transaction management system. So now they're paying franchise fees plus transaction management, but now that's cohesive. They're all connected together. Then there's reporting. Um, people don't know the numbers. They don't have any data. They don't have any way to do it. We spent hundreds of thousands of dollars to build out uh, our technology that allows them to see their mortgage, their title, their agent production, their ROI on lead sources. All of that's built in and included with this and the uh, and the services that are there. Then we have we have a insane culture. Meaning, I've lost control of the company now. All the other franchisees are teaching others and all of that. Uh, we did a level up mastermind thing in Florida. Um, just like the well, last weekend, wasn't it? Yeah, like last weekend. So, um, so we booked, we we did it. The company paid, brought them in. We we merged together with another group, and then um, we paid for it. So we it was twenty five thousand dollars. We paid, brought them all in to to train them all and do all that. Didn't charge anybody anything. It was all free to them, right? And so we just keep adding more and more value for our agents. We do top producer events, a president's clubs. Uh, we roll that package out to each of the offices. Uh, we have. Um, monthly meetings where it's like, I'll get on there and train the agents on agent stuff. We have other group trainings so people can join in on that. There's, um, it's funny, this is a simple one, but I only say this because people will be able to steal these little ideas, but um, they, uh, they have, we have a messenger group. So all the franchisees and managers are in that. They trade off, well, who are you getting this lead from? And it's just a constant thread of co- yeah. communication going on and on and on. You basically could dive in and peel off information at any point in time, but it only happens when the leadership style says, here, it's free. Here's more, here's more, here's more. Then the next person in that culture says, 
what it was freely given to me. I mean, here they can't wait to tell you what was shared with them because they want to help you like they were helped because it's a life changing type thing. Yeah, a, lot know, of, so. a lot of collaboration. Yeah. Tons of collaboration behind yeah. the scenes, which mm -hmm. is where you're <clears throat> touching on the culture. Yeah. So how many franchises, uh, how many people, how many franchises do you have out there? I think there's like 53 or something right now. I know we, we were at 50 something. I, I signed two more um, today. So I think that puts us at like 53. And that could be anywhere. It could be a single agent could be doing a franchise with you as well as a team or somebody could actually go in and be a, a, a company already and uh, sign on. Right. We've got, yeah, we've got all of those different things. And some of them are just kind of like popping open. States took forever to get open. Um, it's a lot of issues that a lot of franchise companies ran into. Um, um, I ran it on Entrepreneur Magazine. I looked at us versus one of those other top selling one. And I was surprised we sold more franchises than they did last year. Like, I mean, they've been doing this for 20 some years. So I was, I was, I was surprised that we were able to adapt and grow uh, in that model. But yeah, there's individual agents. They're agents that started at a franchise and then went and opened their own. It just matters what level you want to be at, you know? And like you said, it's usually a confidence thing, but we're, we're the type that we have this group of leaders and we build this culture of, if you hang around us long enough, we're going to convince you you can run through a wall. I mean, you're going to realize how powerful you are because you'll look around the room and go, well, if this idiot can do it, then I can do it. Right. And then they're usually looking at me. But um, but, you know, the the ideal is is that you're you're stronger than you think you are. You're more capable than you think yeah. you are. But they have all these limiting beliefs. And we talk about it all the time. What's that limiting belief? You don't even identify it. You just operate in it. But once you identify it, we'll, we'll name, there would be a question. I know I'm all over the place a little bit, but um, there's a question that says, what's three things that will stop you from accomplishing your goal? We talk about vision all the time. Someone's got a creative vision. We'll say, well, what's three things that are going to stop you? And they'll name these three things that are going to stop them, right? And say, well, now it can't stop you anymore because now you know what's yeah. going to stop you. And now you can go in and make sure that that doesn't. Well, I won't. You know, I don't have enough hours in the day, you know, or whatever it is. Okay, so how can we create time? How do we do time assets versus time liabilities and and re reverse engineer, right? So all of those things. And then it just trickles all the way down where that it just levels the whole boat uh, yeah. rises at the same time. There are all the boats rise with the tide. Yeah, that's awesome, man. That's awesome. So um, do you think, you know, uh, last question, and then I'll uh, ask you how people can get in touch with you. Um, do you think people, agents, you know, for those, not every agent will be able to do this, but do you think agents uh, should be focusing on uh, relationships again with uh, with REO departments and and whatnot? Do you think that that's going to come up again? Are you, um, are you sensing that? There's been a lot of murmurs of this stuff uh, that's going on. And you'd think because I've done REO, I'd be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it'd almost be a pre preconceived idea. And I go, unfortunately, my answer is no. And and there's a couple reasons why not. And so there's a shortage of inventory. There's low interest rates. There's an influx of buyers. So until we see the buyer side cool off, there's not really any way that you're going to have these foreclosures. They're saying, well, there's this inventory of this other. Once it comes in, that's just going to be fuel for, fuel for the fire. But that fuel for the fire is then going to drive it up. I picture this like the yeah. 1920s that we're in the roaring 20s, but we're in the beginning. They're infusing money into the economy. I mean, everyone's got cash almost. It seems like everyone came out 
not everyone, but a, a lot of people on the business side of things came out with money on top of things because they got PPP money and, you know, all these other things that all that money kind of spread out. And um, and then everyone got real conservative. So uh, the, yeah, um, yeah. what's it called? The velocity of money slowed. Right. And so the velocity and the sizes of purchases slowed, which put money in what's called the M1, M2. So now there's more money in the bank than there's ever been. There's less debt than there's ever been. Right. So everybody kind of learned their lesson. And then you've got this inflationary type stuff that's going on, which somewhat confusing to me because they, they use inflation as a bad thing. But I'm going, well, that means house prices are going to go up. That means, of course, everything's going to go up with that. But but it means it's going to drive it up. Well, if that drives up, then that drives, I think there's 58 other things, other industries that are indicated or, um, 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 what is it called? They're impacted by a, a house sale. And so yeah. all of these other businesses, so all of that just infuses all the way through. Uh, and then that money then gets spent and it just kind of keeps on going. So anyway, I feel like that yeah. passing through is really going to help a lot of people. Uh, and we'll see a lot less. I know there's going to be foreclosures, but there's always been, you know, like there, there's always been, but I don't think it's going to be the influx. I think the, uh, I think the opposite side of it is figuring out how you can build those relationships to get those sellers, to get those homes, to get those corporate accounts when they're moving from side to side, getting referral based agents across, uh, you know, cause we, we call it's funny. We call ours a network on our website is all of our map of our locations because we want those things passed mm -hmm. back and forth because that network is really going to be key. I mean, you see it all the time. Does anybody know an agent here? Does anybody know an agent there? Believe it or not, that's still a struggle for people to find an agent that yeah. they know everywhere. And so that's kind of what we're trying to do is build a network where we know who's there. There's a franchise owner, there's an agent. And that way everybody's kind of oversaw and managed. And, um, and that way you can pass out through the clients that way. So, so well, man, you, you, you sure do offer a lot of information. So in a very short period of time. So what's the best way for somebody, if somebody wants to reach out, maybe they want to pick your brain, maybe they want to learn more about franchising and or your franchise. What what's the um how, how what's the best way for them to reach you? So, yeah, so on our website, firstclassrealestate.com, it has all these different options. So as an agent, they can join on. As a franchise owner, they can join on. They can find out about our 5% for Life Tech program, uh, why we're against caps. I mean, people, we, we're just anti. Caps are usually more than our franchise fee, so that just drives us nuts. Um, so, um, but yeah, that, that website, any of those things, I actually, I'm really involved. Like, I'm the type that when you look at my phone, I don't have a text message I don't respond to. My emails, when I go to bed at night, there's two of them, but it's only because I'm just waiting their to-do list. But they're, you know, I, I get all of my emails responded. And then when a franchise lead or an agent lead or any of that stuff comes in, I see it. I mean, I don't usually manage it, but I see, you know, what's going on. And I'm pretty yeah. easy, easy to access, um, uh, sometimes too accessible. And, uh, <laughs> and it just depends on the lane of whatever it is. Uh, every now and then, we'll be able to jump on. We do a discovery day. Uh, a couple of times a month. And so people can sign up for that and then they can find out all about the franchise that way. I do that personally as well. So, so I get to meet people and, and talk to them that way. And, um, you know, and then there's, uh, you know, scheduled calls. We schedule call people are, I just got a problem. A lot of times we feel like our solution is the solution to a, a significant amount of issues, whatever those are, whether that's recruiting or value or finances and so we try and help with that. And, and a lot of times it leads to that. But every now and then we'll get on the call. Someone just says, hey, I just want to tell you about this, that, and the other. And we'll say, okay, well, great. We'll try this, that, and the other. Um, and they almost don't like it. I got yelled at the other day. A guy said, you didn't try and recruit us. Why well, you didn't even try and recruit me uh -huh. to, the, to the thing. And I said, well, we don't recruit anybody. We, I mean, we may attract you if the model makes sense, but we're, that's, 
that's not our game. We don't, we're not trying to do that. We just, we have what we have. And if it's interesting to you, great. If it's not, then we understand and we're going to keep on doing what we're doing. So, um, yeah. you know, that's, that's our business plan. Well, man, thank you again. I appreciate you. I know this is the second time that you've uh, you've uh, shared your time with us at the Level Up podcast. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, I wish you the uh, continued success. I'm waiting to see what's next. You know, obviously you keep progressing and, and keep leveling up, you know, so good luck to you and, and thank you again. Yeah, thanks.